As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! And time, and time again. Break up the music. Charge a glass. This nation is going to dance all night. Revisiting the weirdest six-a-side tournament of all time, outpacing Usain Bolt, the sheer fury that can only be generated by having a bad five-a-side goalkeeper, goal scorers performatively grabbing the ball out of the opposition net, a Patrick Vieira vapor-up conspiracy theory, and finally, an overdue public shaming of the most annoying thing that strikers do. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 100 of the Football Clichés podcast. I'm Adam Hurry and with me, as he so often is... Charlie Eccleshare. Charlie, 100 episodes. Well, whatever the podcast equivalent of sort of standing by a pitch before kickoff as someone oddly connected to this hands me a very weird trinket, I feel like this is it. (laughs) I know. Who would have thought it when we uh, started those humble origins in a studio and now look at us sort of recording from our own Mm. living rooms. We're really moving up in the world and it's it's great to see. Yeah, not quite. Suddenly, the episode where we sat through an entire episode of Premier League years 1998-99 feels worthwhile. That was that was a genuine <laughs> highlight for me. That was so, so good. Well, we have a very special guest for our 100th episode. Frankly, without any introduction whatsoever, it is. It's Jamie Carragher. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm absolutely honoured to be on the show. Never so you mind the 100th be. episode. I know, I really am. And uh, football cliches, there's plenty of them. Mm. I'm sure I spout a lot of them myself on uh, on a Sunday and a Monday. Definitely. And I'm, uh, hopefully I've, I've, I've been I've been mentioned on the show for talking about that nonsense at times. Almost certainly. I mean, but it's fine. It's not like you've agreed yeah. to come on a podcast with a disproportionate level of interest in the output of Sky Sports Pundit. So you should be absolutely fine. You should be absolutely <laughs> fine. Jamie, it's convenient you're here, actually. Because um, I was reading an interview with Usain Bolt the other day, the intro of which 
included this little excerpt about his recent exploits. The long-retired Liverpool and England footballer Jamie Carragher beating him in a foot race for a through ball. Now, I thought to myself, this sounds fascinating. I'd love to see this. this I mean, this sounds like quite a feather in Jamie Carragher's cap. Then I saw the clip. Roll clip. You say balls on the end of this. And you'd only say this at Stockrade, but Jamie Carragher outruns Usain Bolt to the ball. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is neither a foot race, nor you outpacing him in any way whatsoever. I mean, come on, you're not claiming this, are you? No, no, well, no I mean, has there ever been a foot race ever? <laughs> Who's ever been in a foot uh, race? I can, think, all of, I can think of two examples of a foot race. One, like a ball into a channel where like a fullback's going up against a striker. And then that very strange um, uh, Sky segment where you and Gary Neville race across the pitch at the Amex. Um, <laughs> you, you're telling me we're running out of ideas. Yeah. But that was a shepherding. That was a stonewall <laughs> shepherding what you were doing there. Yeah, the, the old ball down the channel. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just get just getting the body across. Getting Using all your across. experience. Yeah, that's a yeah, real use all yeah. his experience. Yes, yeah. yes. Know how. What, 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 mm, what's know how yeah, called? Now. Streetwise, yeah. <laughs> dark arts. Yeah, if you'd yeah, like tugged his shirt as you'd done it or something like that, then that would have been even better. But um, just, just yeah. to let you know, you're definitely not having outpace Usain <laughs> Bolt on your CV. I want to make that clear to the nation before we get started. <laughs> yeah, well, me, me, yeah, me numbers on FIFA are going down in terms of pace-wise, I think. Do players really care about their numbers on FIFA? Well, I didn't. I don't know. Was FIFA out when I was playing? Serious. I, I kind of. It was. Yeah, it was. Was it? I, I think I was one of them who was sort of a average at everything. To be honest, so I don't think I'd have been too worried what my numbers were. Well, so that's a nice appraisal. But with players like you, it was always really hard on FIFA because things like his first yards up there or used all his experience. That's harder to convey on a on a computer game. Whereas you know, quick play, quick players were disproportionately good. Exactly, but man, that wasn't just for pace. That yeah, that was for everything with me. Everything was, you know, <laughs> you know. I'm not going to try and make that pass because I can't play that pass. So I'll play that one. I think a lot of that is lost, you know. Actually, decision making in terms of everything that you do. So yeah, I, I, I was nine out of ten, I think, for brain, and probably five out of ten for everything else. Hence why I'm on MNF. <laughs> oh, that's the, oh yeah, good to get good to get a plug in for the little no Monday night football. Fantastic. Um, Speaking of you, speaking of you, presumably being outclassed in the presence of, of stellar competition, I've been meaning to ask you about this, or at least talk to you about it for a very, very long time, and since I discovered it about six years ago. It's the 1997 Sony Disc Euro 6s in Amsterdam. Oh, amazing. Are you going to talk about what happened on the pitch or off the pitch? I want to talk about both. <laughs> let's, just set, let's just set the scene here. So this is midway through your first season at Liverpool, in fact, as in, in, in the first team. And it was a, a six-a-side tournament at the newly built Amsterdam Arena between Ajax, AC Milan, Rangers and Liverpool. Now, already quite a curious situation. The whole thing was devised by Johan Cruyff on a half-size pitch with full-sized goals and offsides. So the whole thing is already utterly absurd. Uh, Liverpool lost 5-0 to Milan, 7-3 to Rangers and then 8-1 to Ajax, right? So, okay, we've set the scene here. The whole thing is absolutely ridiculous. Tell us what it was like. Well, let me put this in context. We've just played Chelsea on the Sunday and lost in the FA Cup 4-2. We were 2-0 up at half-time, and we're going from Chelsea to Amsterdam, and no one's really got a clue what this is. It's just for us. It's just like training session. And I always remember in the Ajax Stadium, we obviously all had our own dressing room, but there was an indoor area where everyone warmed up. And all the other teams were doing proper warm-ups, and we were just bladdering balls at the wall, <laughs> having shots, and just like just causing 
mayhem. And we've just gone out with no sort of like formation, anything. It's just like, just go out and play, like whatever. And, you know, it was just an absolute <laughs> disaster, but funny in a way. And I always remember John Barnes, his head had gone. <laughs> you know, he was fuming. He was fuming with the whole setup, how we'd approached it, how we performed. And I was like, he was my hero. And I just, I just wanted to speak to him. I just asked him a question, you know, you know, are you playing in the next game or something? And he went, am I fuck? We are a fucking disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> I went, whoa, better stay away from Barnes. <laughs> oh, he wasn't happy. But uh, no, I remember, I remember Edgar Davids. It was like, I was only, I was 18. I'd made my debut about 10 days before for Liverpool. And I just remember how good these Ajax players were. They were the, they were the European champions, I think, at that stage. And it was a, it's a trip that is still <laughs> spoken about and remembered to this day, I can assure you. And then we were, we were let out in Amsterdam. Oh, I see. Is that all you want to say about that? I think so. I think there's plenty of cliches you could use, but it'd be on a different podcast than football cliches. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I bet. So, Charlie, you know, as a, as a seasoned fighter mm. player yourself, um, you know, let's just reiterate this setup a half size pitch with full size goals and offsides does actually sound like the worst conceivable I just football tournament of all yeah, time yeah I can't even nearly get my head around it did, did teams play offsides why were Rangers invited <laughs> Well, they had Gazza at the time, didn't they? I can't remember him playing. A very interesting story about Gazza in this tournament. He was he was playing for Rangers, of, of course. And uh, halfway through the tournament, Ajax's goalkeeper suddenly decided to play Rush. So came out the pitch and uh, clattered into Gazza, injuring his ankle and ruling him out of the World Cup qualifier against Italy the next month. Are you when Letizia played are instead? Are you serious? That was <laughs> sliding doors moment. But was that reported at the time? I don't remember it being set, like injury picked no, up in the nowhere. Amsterdam fives. <laughs> It's absolutely ridiculously unreal Struck from the record. And, um, there's, there's footage though, isn't there? Yeah, little bit, little pieces here and there, uh, which kind of gives it, and there's a, like, the full match between Liverpool and Milan, um, which is frankly a masterclass <laughs> and a complete schooling for you lot. How, but, Adam, how did you um, find it? I, re- I, I remember cr- the day you found it. We were working together and you were like, you will not believe uh, what I found. How did that come about? I found it. I found it via the least glamorous way possible, which was searching through the Telegraph picture database. And I found this picture of um, Gascoigne playing against Ajax. In, and what it, the caption said was this weird tournament. Um, but on this idea that Liverpool perhaps weren't quite as, let's say, prepared as the other teams. This is from uh, former Rangers midfielder Derek McInnes. He says, I'll always remember Koisty as soon as John Barnes shut the door from, uh, of their dressing room saying, they're fucking shite, by the way. We'll fucking batter them. They've all been on the lash for 24 hours. <laughs> so, that- <laughs> so you lost 7-3. I think that sums the trip up. It sums the trip up. And if Alan McCoyce is uh, taking it more serious, considering he likes a bevy or two, I think it probably shows our preparation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just I'm, I'm glad you um, I'm glad you've been nice and open about this in, in terms of your uh, lack of preparation for the 1997 Sony Mini Disc Euro Sixes, which is uh, Charlie is actually the greatest tournament name. I will grant it that. That that is great. Yeah, that could not be more of its time, could it? I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I, as a huge Mini Disc fan over here, I will always defend the platform, but uh, obviously probably not quite glamorous enough for a tournament like that. But I'll tell you what is glamorous, and that's Mesut Harland Dix with Jamie Carragher. If you haven't listened to this segment before, well, you're in for a treat. Uh, our star guest is going to reveal three ideally very obscure things they love about football and three equally niche things that irritate the hell out of them. Jamie, it's up to you, really. Um, introduce the first thing that you love about uh, our modern game. Well, when I was, I was writing these down, you'd asked me to do them. Obviously, you know, we're on episode 100. I was thinking, I'm not going to say anything no one's ever heard before if we're on episode Absolutely. 100. So I was pretty struggling, really. So the first thing I wrote down was uh, the thing I love about football is not, it's just football as a whole in terms of, it's the only thing 
I think in my whole life, I've never become bored with at any stage. There's not a game I can't watch without enjoying it. Even if it's the worst nil-nil and everyone says, there's something I'll be watching or something I can find or something I can a player or what a manager's doing or why he changed something. I can always find something in a game of football which, which made me described as uh, an anorak or a bit of a football bore in the dressing room with other players. Uh, but, you know, never bothered me at all. But <laughs> that's why I was seen as the guy who always watched every type of football because I, I, I always enjoyed or took something from it. Charlie, first first reaction to this is, this is the Sky Sports hype machine talking. Yeah. They, they just can't, they can't get their heads around a bad <laughs> football game, can they? Everything's brilliant. Everything's absorbing. Everything's intriguing. I, I love uh, Jamie picking football essentially as his niche thing about favorite thing about football. <laughs> this, Great. It, it, it reminds me in the office when Big Keith's asked for his strengths and he says accounts, and Brent has to be like, "That's your job, yeah. though. That's you know, that's not a strength. This is uh, the footballing equivalent of that. Just football." Yeah, we'll start with football and then just work yeah. our way down, shall we? I think that's a good way of doing it. Yeah, um, I, I, I like the way Jamie that you skirted around the fact that um, you're known as a student of the game. I feel like you're the you're the you're the very much the the most famous student of the game there is, isn't there? Are you yeah, happy with I'm that? I'm the most student student to the game. Yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. As Roy Keane said to Gary Neville, "We're all fucking students to the game." <laughs> I can imagine Neville as a student. That's the thing, um, like quite literally a student. But so okay, so this begs the the next question, really. If we can really address what you've said, is are you too into football? Because and I offer this as an evidence that you might just be too enveloped in in, in the game. But you did an interview with the Athletic Simon Hughes last year about grassroots football, and you said you'd retired from your local five side because, among other reasons, and I quote: "If we had someone shit in goal and he let one in, it would wind me up." <laughs> That's that's caring too much. I mean, I completely sympathise with bad five-a-side goalkeepers, but that's caring too much. Yeah, it is. It just it can really affect the way I feel. <laughs> uh, football, it always has done. It'll never change. I was in a bad mood this morning when I woke up because Man United and fucking Ronaldo scored in that last <laughs> minute. And you know, I was on a high the night before because Liverpool won. And when I was a kid, it was if Everton won or I'm playing Liverpool. So it always it always affects my mood. Uh, football, it can have a you know, a real, you know, big, uh, big bear on how I'm feeling throughout the day football. Yeah, it does. Can I ask, do you, would you then feel the following morning bad about kind of in your head hating that goalkeeper in that moment? Or do you just think, no, that's totally justified. He was shit. He deserved it. No, I mean, I don't go that far with five aside. Definitely if it was my own goalkeeper for Liverpool, I would wake up in the morning and still be wound up about it. Five aside, I can probably let it go an hour or two afterwards. You okay. know what I mean? When you're in the bar or something, you're having a laugh yeah. and a joke about it. But I just wanted to... Uh, I just want to win, and and, if, and and to be honest, I know this is a I mean, we have a laugh on here and that, but I, that doesn't. That's why I could not have gone into coaching or mm. management. I made a good decision of going there because I I I I wouldn't be able to take the ups. I couldn't really take the ups and downs as a player. I found it tough, but uh, as a manager, I have absolutely no chance. Well, in a way, I'm I'm, I'm I slightly admire this stance because Charlie, we we speak a lot about on this podcast about kind of football watching fatigue. Like on a, on a on like like a bumper Super Sunday where there's three in a row, I'm probably nodding off halfway through maybe the second game. I'm just thinking oh, I don't care about this one. So whilst I realise that Jamie is professionally invested in this, I still think it's fairly fairly admirable mm. to care about every single football match you watch. Hundred percent. And I also I would love to test that theory and get you to watch like my Sunday league team or something. I mean, are we talking like <laughs> any level? 
like how long you would last before being like this is shit let's force him to watch as much football as possible yeah Yeah, we're like I I, I can I can still remember the names of all the players dad managed Sunday league level when I was about six or seven I used to watch them I can still remember them now yeah oh yeah that's very worrying I can remember yeah Billy Lock at the back Billy Webb up front (laughs) Terry McDonald on the left wing uh, Butler on the right Frank Symes in midfield Big Jacko at the back Smiggering goal Jem uh, Fitz right back these all sound massively made up but I'll take your word for it <laughs> but you're saying them convincingly Big Jacko Big Jacko could be anybody Steve Jackson right fair enough right fair enough okay this is a solid start so we start, we started Meza Holodix with Jamie Carragher with football as a whole super you know, you, know, you know a solid start is that a, is that a, a what does solid start out of marks out of 10 is that 6 I'd say so. I mean, I mean, the the kind of dictionary footballing definition of a solid start is is not conceding in the first twenty minutes. Why is the first twenty minutes so important in mm. football? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Who it? decided it's this? It's fine if you concede in the twenty second minute, isn't it? You yeah, it's that fine. Early, that, it's that fine. early onslaught. Speaking of onslaughts, tell us about your second love of football. Centre backs going up for the last five minutes. Right. A lot of these loves could be hates, actually, <laughs> in some ways. But I, I just remember standing on the Gladys Street as a kid, you know, at Everton, Goodison Park, and you knew things weren't going well when Dave Watson was sent up with five minutes to go. And it always used to fascinate me that I'd think, well, if this is our best chance to score, and why have we not been doing this from minute one? And it'd just be this, and it never worked, and it just throw Big Dave up, number five on his back, just looking for headers and knockdowns and different things. But I tell you what, the one one time I think it did work, the 1989 Cup Final. In a Cup Final, that's that went, that's think, where Stuart McCall scores, yeah. I actually think a ball gets knocked up to Dave Watson. There's a bit of a... And he, I think he actually plays the ball wide to Pat Nevin, who crosses it, boom, but Liverpool end up winning the Cup. But... I just remember it'd be getting to about 20 to 5. You'd be thinking, fucking hell, Dave's coming up. <laughs> you know, things aren't going well here. <laughs> uh, but no, that was uh, that was football then in the uh, early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. I, I was going to say, I wondered how far back this kind of fascination went. Because if we're talking Dave Watson, maybe maybe it was, you know, Gary Lineker was hauled off in one game or two and they had to throw <laughs> Dave Watson up. No, no, <laughs> it wasn't that either. Okay. Because that's, when you're a good team, good teams never seem to put the centre back up. It's, you, you know when you're a bad team. And it was sorted after the titles had right. come. But my dad said he'd watched that through his childhood, watching my Mick Lyons get through up in the uh, in the seventies when Everton were really struggling. So I was thinking of other ones where it wasn't just the centre back getting through off the last ten minutes. You had those players who played both mm. positions. Oh yeah, Dion Dion Dublin, Paul Warhurst, Chris Sutton was one. Ever fa- do you ever ever fancy the job? I mean, surely you must have been summoned at some point. Well, that was that was that. It wasn't me as a professional sense, but I played my child as a striker. Oh, right. I played for England as a striker. Really? At, uh, yeah, don't look so shocked. I am shocked. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I watched you at the 1997 Amsterdam Sony 6s. I can't believe this. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I was just sent forward till the age of 16, 17. That is astonishing. Wow. My first game for Liverpool Reserves was a striker. What sort of striker are we talking? Like, Give me well, a modern was, template. Yeah, yeah, I'm well aware of what you're saying. So when I was a kid, <laughs> I was a number nine. I was quick. I, I, I was a goal scorer. I broke all the records. And then I went to the national school at Little Shaw at 14 as a centre forward. And I was a late developer physically, so I, I couldn't run away from anyone or you know beat people with pace or strength or whatever. So... I then took up the air between the lines, or mm, is it now called right, in nice. the hole? Wow! Yeah, so I, it was I was a holder player, and uh, so I was always coming to feet then. But I was there was no way I could have carried on as a centre forward because I just didn't have the the pace or the sort of dribbling ability. But I could hold the ball or bring people into play. 
use my brain, but I was just slowly getting further back. Did you look at someone like Michael Owen though and be like, right, okay, that's kind of the level I've got to get to to be to be like a, a striker? I, I didn't know Michael. I I'd never seen Michael play when I was that age because I probably missed him at Liverpool because I went to Lily Shaw. So no, I didn't really see Michael or Stevie G to be honest until I was sort of near in, in Liverpool's first team. But no, I was I was all right. I was, put it this way. Whether this is a feather in my cap or not, I was keeping Emil Heskey out of England on the 16s team. He was on the. <laughs> that bike. is a feather in your cap. <laughs> imagine. I'm just trying to imagine this parallel universe where Jamie Carragher gets like 40 odd caps up front for England, and and Heskey gets one or two as a centre half against in, in like a friendly against Croatia or something like that. What else? You could have been you could have been Michael Owen's foil yes. in the early 2000s. Yeah, I'm coming. Feetie's going long. Yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Get written about me. You don't see the way he does off the ball. Mm, oh yeah, 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 yeah. It'd be, it'd be all that one, yeah. Even though we don't score, yeah, but you haven't seen what he does off the ball. <laughs> a thinking man striker. The, the, his teammates appreci- appreciate him exactly, but the crowd may not. But also, hasn't football now come full circle? Because didn't Gerard Piquet go up front for Barcelona, and it was hailed as kind of the nadir for them? So maybe yeah, the uh, so centre back. Yeah, that's not a good look for Barcelona. I mean, Barcelona at that stage where they they could be throwing Piquet or Dave Watson up front at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> To address this very specific phenomenon, what I quite like about this is um, it's one of those very few circumstances in football where where I feel like a player knows that all the eyes are on him. It's a bit like when an outfield player goes in goal. Uh, they they kind of wear this kind of look on their face. Like, like I'm really taking this seriously. I'm going to do this. And, and when centre-halves go up front, it feels... It's a bit like when a goalie goes up for a corner. They have to go for everything because that's why yes. they're there. And yeah. it becomes slightly comical. I, I, I mean, I, I, that, that could be another one, the goalies going up. I've never got that in any way, shape or form. They always get in, in somebody's way. They feel like they have to head the ball. <laughs> exactly. I, I always feel like, why don't you... Okay, you want an extra man in the box. So the guy who's on the edge of the box, put him in the box and put the keeper on the edge mm. of the box. If now you have someone out the goal, yeah. do that. And just yeah. have a normal player doing something. But the one I love about the striker going up is... Everyone always wants to like get the ball to the full back and almost play this angled ball. So you mm. just get this centre forward just come, just running across the edge of the box. So when the, when the ball goes to the left back, he comes this side, and then it goes to the right back. He pulls off to the and all he ends up doing is just doing that, and it's hit <laughs> the diag as Peter Reid would say. Exactly. Well, the, this this always fascinates me because Charlie, like you know, elite football is so micromanaged these days. Like there, there are so many different kind of set plays into, into how a team are going to attack in certain situations. But in this very situation where it becomes so desperate that they've chucked a centre-half upfield, even, you know, even if Barcelona are doing it, everything goes out the window. It all re- resets to 1984 and the fullback gets the ball and launches <laughs> into the area. I mean, it's, it's actually a sensational kind of um, yeah. breaking down of the system isn't it I think that's why we love it even more now because it does feel like this sort of analogue thing in the most like mm. digital as you say like precise world and you're just like yeah. you know what fuck it I know we've, we've, we're paying like thousands and thousands of data analysts but just shove it in there and it's just and hope great for the to best. see elite level footballers running out of ideas basically <laughs> and also elite level footballers totally out of their comfort zone that's why yeah. david james playing up front is possibly my favorite 10 minutes of football <laughs> ever it is i would honestly recommend it, it never gets old it is Agreed. incredible and, and when and when you talk about like could a goalkeeper I and mean, Jamie you must hear this and be like what but like when when they say like, could a go- could edison play as a you know as a left back or something and you just think like well, I'd love to see it. If he's anything like David yeah. James, I would pay a lot to see that. Mm. The only other kind of tangent example I can hear is the very few situations, Jamie, where you see a goalkeeper having to run at full full pelt 
You know, normally it's something very disastrous, something huge emergency. I've never... There's, no footballer panics more than when a goalkeeper has to run full sprint. Yeah, they, they love that one, don't they? For, where, where they run when they're trying to chase a game and they go and take a throw in. Mm. And everyone loves that one, don't they? Keep it taking a yeah. throw in. They sprint across, they get the ball. They lash it in, you know what I mean? He's, it he's shouldn't be weird, going. but it is. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Shouldn't be allowed. Shouldn't be allowed to take a throw in in gloves. <laughs> it, feel, it just feels wrong. Absolutely wrong. But yeah, okay. So let's move on. Your third love of football, please, Jamie. I think the excitement of signing someone on the back of a tournament when you you know you've seen someone who's played four games at a World Cup, you've never heard of him, you've never seen him. <laughs> I'm thinking possibly from '86 to sort of '96, '98 before we started watching you know La Liga and Serie A on TV. So we sort of knew the players a bit more when you didn't really have a clue who. who was in these tournaments and, and everyone was running around watching three games on a day everyone's talking about these players from these countries and then you're signing them and everyone's going mad and crazy I mean the one I liked was uh, I, I'm just thinking of being as a kid as ever I'm getting excited when I'm signing Daniel Amakachi because he scored some yes. great yeah. goals I think it was the 94 World Cup and yes. he comes and you're like oh, Daniel Daniel. He scored in the FA Cup semi though, didn't he? He against Spurs. Wasn't that his like one one moment for Everton? You do know he wasn't supposed to be on the pitch, don't you? you yes, yeah, that that's one. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That that summed him up, I think. I feel Jamie Liverpool, your era Liverpool, I feel like El Hadj Juf was like the last stand of the signing players off the back of a tournament. And that went so badly. Yeah, how is El Hadj Juf these days, Jamie? How is he doing? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he rates me really highly. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think uh, I'm, I'm sure he's on a. I'm sure Pele did a list of the the, the best hundred players of all time, or the best hundred players. I think Juve got in it. So he always says, Steve, "Well, obviously I never got in it." And I think I'm, I don't think Stevie Gerrard got in it at the time. So we always <laughs> use that as a, a stick to beat Stevie with as well. If he stayed as a striker, I think you might have been all right. Yeah, maybe, but maybe that was the last World Cup. You're right. I should have I should have gone from sort of my child of 86 to 2002 because we signed two from the, uh, the Senegal team Juve and uh, Salif Diaw in midfield. Yes. Yeah. And we, 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 we were certainly kidded. I mean, we don't want to be too naive about this phenomenon, Charlie, in kind of recent years. Clearly, sort of scouting and recruitment structures are more, are more sophisticated than signing players on the back of tournaments. But from a fan's perspective, it does feel like that. And... Mm. At the same time, it feels like a lot of these signings don't really kind of work out. And people kind of put two and two together and think, well, they've just signed this flash in the pan kind yeah. of player. It's, I mean, from a fan's perspective, that's kind of how it looks, isn't it? Yeah, I do I do agree, though, Jamie. It was so great. I always think of Euro 96 as the big one because you got Paborski, Patrick Berger. I think the fact that it was in England, it was almost like, well, they've done it at Anfield. They've scored a goal at Old Trafford. They'll be absolutely fine. Um, and then there was this whole kind of rush of signings. But yeah, I think it's sad that now teams are too wise to it and as you say they've got the scouting networks and they would never and now people think club football and I think it's right club football is better than international football whereas then it felt like that was the kind yeah. of peak of football so then you can just transfer that brilliance to the Premier League totally agree the, Ch- the Champions League superseded exactly why I think we're trying to get a World Cup every two years but I do hate the fact that now when I watch a tournament I do know most of the players I yeah. don't like that I think it makes us more critical mm. of even like some great players that that mystique you used to have as a kid Completely. watching a tournament yeah. it's just I, I, I do miss that although if you're going to spend all day every day watching football you maybe only have yourself to blame there well to be fair when I'm saying that when there's three games on in a tournament I do have to choose two because there can be some rascal you know teams early in that group stage where I think no I'm, oh, I'm not oh the sure mask is slipping that. here wow <laughs> oh, because, just because Sky haven't got the right so you can decide to only pick and choose what you've got absolute disgrace absolute disgrace <laughs> 
Um, I mean, but talking about the kind of the kind of mystique and the kind of naivety that that was attached to some of these kind of mid '90s signings, it seems like we're never ever, Jamie, ever going to get back to the situation where, say, Janino was unveiled at Middlesbrough with sombreros, which I don't think are even Brazilian, quite frankly. So I don't think we're going to ever have that era of innocence, are we? No, it just sometimes it won't happen now. But obviously the Janino one was unbelievable. I think that was on the back of the Umbro Cup, wasn't it? That's right. Exactly. In 95. It was, yes. Yeah, I think they played. They, they were playing at it. They definitely played at Goodison Park, that Brazilian team in, in that. And uh, it was, if we go back a little bit further, sometimes I see things that, like read, you know, 442 or some magazine. And they talk about certain players going to clubs, and you can't believe it. I mean, who, who's the guy who got world player of the year? He ended up with Charlton. Was it the, the Danish fella, Simonson? Or... Oh, yes, Alan Simonson back in the 70s. In the 70s, yeah. Yeah, and who's, was there a left back who won the World Cup who ended up at Birmingham or something? You get these mad plays. Mm. How have they ended up there? Well, like, How has that happened? Ricky Veer and Ozzy Ardiles pitching up as World Cup winners at Spurs. Yeah. It was like, huh? Yeah, there was definitely an era where we thought we just didn't deserve these t- sorts of players. They're just they're, they're too exotic for us. They're too good for our football. I I, I watched I watched the program on Ozzy Ardiles and Ricky Villa, and it was obviously after the Falcon or something was going on with the Falcons. Well, because he because Ozzy Ardiles was getting that much stick mm. off the crowd, he mm. went home for like yeah. three months. Really? <laughs> and it's like, can you imagine that? Now you just go, I'm going home. I'm, I'm not playing the Premier League. I need I need three months off. I'm getting too much stick here. I mean, Carlos Tevez did something similar, didn't he? But uh, slightly, slightly different circumstances. Pretty sure it wasn't about the Falklands, to be honest, Charlie. But yeah, yeah fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. What are, the, what are the random ones out there where people just... I just... You think, how has that happened? How has he ended up But there? with that Middlesbrough team, I mean, they also had Emerson, they had Branco, who was mm. the, he was their left back. He was yeah. Brazil's left back when they won the World Cup. Ravinelli. And I thought they had Ravinelli, but it was like, how, how is this happening? I, th- I think Ravinelli it might have had something to do with getting forty-two grand a week. The forty-two grand a week at that time felt like Ex- exactly, an absurd amount. Exactly, of money. an absolutely absurd amount of money. Yeah, the benchmark stuff. before that was twenty-five grand a week, and then all of a sudden yeah. forty-two came along and smashed yeah. it. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, it's Mez at Harland Dix with Jamie Carragher. We've, um, as I said, we've completely dismantled um, the dearest things to your footballing heart. And now it's uh, probably the more interesting uh, business end of this. We're going to talk about the things that you hate or at least mildly irritate you about football. Take it away. Uh, the first one would be, and this is teammates and watching football as well. When, when you're having one of those days where it's not going well, you're probably going to be 3-0, 2-3-0, something's not going well. And, and out of nowhere, you've been absolutely battered. Everyone's been awful. And then somebody scores for you and they go and get the ball in the net. <laughs> And they come running out with it sprinting and they start pumping the fist up to the crowd and they start banging the chest to the other players as if they've been more committed than the rest of them. And that's why they've scored when it's had nothing to fucking do with it. They just scored. And really, they don't really care that they're getting beat now. They've scored. Right. It's like, well, I've scored. Right. I, I'm okay. I'll, I'll be all right. You know, I've, I've got my goal. You know, and, and if you have all tried a bit hard, I think we'll fucking few more. You know, but that won't, you know, that won't performing yeah. for the crowd and that. That old idea of running into the net, which I think is, 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 I just, when I think of that player, I always think of David Platt. Danny, David, don't! Get round, no, don't! Platty! Oh, yeah. He was, he was like professional elite level ball grabber out of the net. I can't think of anyone yeah. better at doing it. It was the, it was the pace the way, that he went back with. the way he held with. the ball. Yeah. When he was running out and the way he ran, it was, it was almost <laughs> like he was on an advert. <laughs> I wish you could all see Jamie's shoulders moving at this point. It's, uh... um, yeah, I've got, I've got the ball here. Yeah. Presumably it would be even weirder if you did it for an own goal. I'd, I'd quite like to see that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get the ball back again, I'll score another one for you. Take, exactly, taking responsibility for your actions. That would be... But I mean, but Charlie, like, just the... I mean, there is an inevitable kind of consequence um, for players grabbing the ball out of the opponent's net, which... which in itself is a very peculiar thing to do. But um, eight times out of ten, it leads to one of the most baffling scenes in professional football, which is the back-of-the-net wrestling match. I just... I, it still happens now, and I still can't understand. I mean, whilst whilst I appreciate that, you know, everyone's wired and everyone's het up and it's all, you know, we're talking about elite-level mentalities here, I still just don't understand why these things <laughs> but, happen. Yeah, I do love that, though. And I know, like, Jerry said, like, the, there's this, like, thin line between love and hate. But that there's something so stupid and pointless <laughs> about the whole thing, but also really relatable because we've all yeah. been there. And it's like, just give me the yeah. ball, give me the ball, as if it's going to make any difference. Um, I'm a big fan of that. But I also, I so agree with you, Jamie. Like, as a fan, when you're watching and you see a player, and it's like, don't try and kid up. You know, when some players will, like, do that as well, like, try and get the crowd going, lifting their <laughs> arms. And it's like, but you've, you're not doing anything. Like, just mm. play properly. That would get us more excited than, like, these really, like, ostentatious shows of passion and this sort of thing. So definitely with you on that first one. So... But the one, the one you're talking about in the net, the wrestling one, is, is really good in that. The goalkeeper keeps hold of it and the opposition are trying to get the ball. Now, I don't, I, I'm a bit like, your goalkeeper always ends up getting bumped, mm. always. Who knows, could get sent off and thrown a dig or doing something. And we, we've got the ball, it's our kickoff. Mm. So we, if we want to waste time, we'll decide when yeah. we kick off. So let them have the ball. They're not kicking off. They're exactly not going right. to kick off. This whole thing is so We're absurd. kicking off. Let them have the ball. Let them sprint back. We'll take our time. Don't worry about it. But it's also um, it's also the like the most PG rated twenty five man brawl possible because never a punch has ever been thrown 
in the back of the net wrestling match. It is the it's it's like watching three year olds fighting over a toy. It's it's incredible. It's the least violent brawl you're ever gonna see. I mean, my honestly, there's nothing I hate worse than someone acting the tough guy on a football right. pitch mm. because no one's ever threw a punch. Mm. Yeah. I mean, no. I mean, if you if you're going to get sent off, well, at least hit him. <laughs> you know, this head to head, and and someone pushes the head into someone, and you're like, you get sent off for that. I always think what the rugby fellas think when they're watching it. And I'm not advocating that we start putting each other in our own football pitches, but getting sent off or putting your head into someone's head, I'm like, oh my God. I can imagine Martin Johnson and, and Delalio and all the boys years ago watching us thinking, look at these stupid bastards here. I mean, if you're going to get sent off, give him a smack. Charlie, Jamie Carragher is rolling out the football versus rugby comparisons on football yeah, teams. Um, Good job, Coxie, isn't worrying. it? Yes. Um, I remember that the low, the lowest of the low point for that for me was Jens Lehmann and Drogba, who were two guys who you know could look after oh, themselves. Probably they brilliant. they were just sort of like going up to each other and trying to almost like brush one another to like, and then fall over to try and get the other sent off. I just thought this, it was like a comedy sketch of someone trying to take the piss out of modern footballers. Wasn't it? It was slapstick. No, yeah, I remember that one. Was that it? Was that Stamford Bridge, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Six yard box or something. Yeah. What was the one was... with Lehman? Did someone stand on his foot in a Tottenham Arsenal game or something like that? Did they would they win the league and Tottenham scored in the last minute? He done something, didn't he? Because someone stood on his toe or something. Have I remembered he that? He shoved Robbie Keane over, uh, and they scored an equaliser. It was the day Arsenal won the league. If you're going to shove anybody over, presumably Robbie Keane is the best one to, to make his safe landing, I presume. Did he do his little roll? <laughs> <laughs> Go straight into the somersault. Yeah, yeah. just yeah, damage limitation. So, okay, so Jamie, picture an average, I don't know, 14-man ball breaking out in the middle of a ball pitch. What's your role? What, what's your instinctive contribution to a 14-man brawl? I don't think I'd get involved in it, just because I think it's... I, I wouldn't. I just... I think it's embarrassing. No one's going to hit anyone. No one's going to do nothing. It's like, come on, lads. Just get on with the are game. You, are I you think, the sort that kind of, sort of stands about 20 yards away laughing with like someone on the other team saying, isn't this ridiculous? Yeah, That's my role. You, you know what? So, I, know, I know what Twitter's like. So there's always a tweet or there's always a video. Maybe I'm involved in something. I don't know. But I'd like to think... I'd hope to think I'd be the one stood back thinking, yeah, what is going on here? Right. I just, I'm not in, I, I want to see people going head to head, you know, like running over and people running to referees. I'm like, oh my God, just stop it, right, please. I think, and if you're going to do something, no, absolutely do it. Right, I'm all for advocating <laughs> violence. All for advocating violence if you're going to go all for it. So absolutely right. Okay, Jamie, tell us about your uh, second hatred of football. I think players playing in a certain position and excelling in that position and then people automatically thinking they should play somebody else. So an automatic one for me is when you've got a really good attack and fullback and everyone says, well, he should play as a winger if he's so good going forward. And it's a completely yeah, 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 different yeah. position. Can, I've seen it a million times. It never works. And people still can continually tell me that players should play in other positions because they're good in a certain position. Just leave them where they're good. I'm surprised by this because I thought I thought it would be the other way around. I thought you'd be more more annoyed as a, as a f- former occasional fullback yourself. I thought you'd be more annoyed about wingers going back and pretending to be fullbacks than the other way around. I thought it'd be like, get out of this. You don't know what you're doing. No, well, they are the, they are the right. fullbacks now, aren't they? That's what I mean. That's where the Gary Neville quote come from. If you're a fullback, you're either a failed winger True. or a failed centre back. So I was the <laughs> I was the failed centre back in my early stage at Liverpool. Well, so it, I went there, yeah. and uh, Gary was the same actually. But I think I think it actually Cole would have been yeah. a winger when he was a kid. But you'll, you'll you'll get someone come in. It's completely different where you receive the ball, how tight someone is onto you. Fullbacks never have to dribble past anyone because they're always coming exactly. onto the ball late. When you're a wide player, you've got to get the ball. You've got to you've got to run at someone. 
completely different skill set but still we get people in the game who think that should happen we were talking about this exact thing last week or the week before adam about in relation to declan rice and the obsession with him playing mm. as a centre-back and I also, and then so I brought up the example of David Luiz exactly. do, you remember, do you remember David Luiz Jamie it was always oh he could play central midfield because he's such a good passer and he can't defend yeah. and it was like it, it, as yeah. if you just slot him in there and he'll, he'll work yeah. it out just ignore 20 years yeah. of footballing education and say oh you're going to play exactly. yeah exactly speaking of kind of converted fullbacks, now you, you, you were a very specific type of that you were a right footed left back for a season a very successful season of course but I think being a right footed left back is just behind being a fourth official and interviewing Nuno Espirito Santo as one of the least enviable jobs in football. I mean, how much fun can being a right-footed left-back actually be? No, I know where you're coming from because you're not getting over the halfway line much because you don't want to be on that left foot swinging across it. You're always coming inside and playing 10-yard passes. That's basically all you're doing. But what I find fascinating is there's loads of right-footed left-backs. Why don't left-footed? Why don't we have left-footed right-backs? Mm, I can't think of any. That's almost unheard of, yeah. Why don't we ever have two left-footed centre-backs ever play together? No manager would ever pick two left-footed centre-backs to play together unless it was an emergency. But they would literally deliberately not do it, wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah, everyone plays two right-footed and, you know, say it managed like left-footed centre-backs to play from the back. But no, you would never dream of playing two left-footed centre-backs together or, as I said, a left-footed right-back. But we now do have left-footed right-wingers, but... Something about left-footed players. I, I say this and some people disagree with me, but left-footers are so bad with the right foot, but they're so good with the with the left foot. It's like, I always describe it like they've got 95% in the left foot and 5% in the right, where a right-footed player is almost like a 70-30. Mm, is that the right sort of ratio? Are we- I'd say so. I mean, there's so many theories, Charlie, about why this might be the case. But I guess if you're a left-footer, you're already occupying a quite valuable niche. So there's no kind of there's no kind of incentive to get better at your right foot. Is that fair to say? Well, yeah, I guess it's almost like that point of def- differentiation is your left foot. So just embrace that. I mean, I yeah. definitely agree that the the most one foot players I can think of, Rivaldo, guys like that. I honestly can't remember them ever seeing their right foot. There are some, though, I would say, like Ryan Giggs developed his right foot a lot, and he scored one. I think, admittedly, it was a cross. But you remember the one against Liverpool with his right foot. I think it was meant as a cross and it kind of looped yeah. in. The other one, Robin Van Persie, who talked about his chocolate leg and only using his left foot, but he actually scored a lot with his right foot um, as he went on kind of in his career. But I mean, but I mean, I think we can all agree that, I mean, unless you've absolutely nailed it, um, you know, and you've really trained your weaker foot, the, the sight of watching someone score with their weaker foot is just massively unsatisfying. I'm thinking sort of Steve Guppy with his right against Chelsea. I'm just, yeah. just anyone scoring, it's like, oh God, this is inherently they unsatisfying. Drag it. Yeah, it's just something really, that's literally swinging their boot. That's literally, there's nothing else. I don't <laughs> like it. Don't like it. It's the safety involved, is it? You know they're just kind of hoping a little bit and uh, maybe it'll but creep on, in. On the theme of kind of this kind of taken for granted discrimination against left-footed players. To pick up on your point, Jamie, about how managers, you know, maybe wouldn't pick more than three or four left-footers. If you picked an average Premier League team and you just completely inverted the footedness, so you had, say, like eight left-footers in the team, someone somewhere would say, oh, we've got too many lefties in this team. They would literally say that, despite it having no effect on their game whatsoever, wouldn't they? Who's the, who's the team in the Premier It's Leeds, isn't it? Leeds have got loads of left-footers. Hmm. Oh, they did last season when everyone was fit. So they had because yeah, Bamford. I definitely think Leeds had five left footers. Leeds had what Bamford, Dallas, Rafinha, Arioski. Rafinha was in there. Jack Harrison was he left footed on that left? I think Is so. He... One of the centre backs. Who's the left footed centre back? Cooper, the captain. So maybe it gets to, maybe it gets to 
maybe it's like a critical point where when you've got so many left footers in your team, it becomes like boxing. Like other teams just can't handle you. Maybe there is something in that. Yeah. So Leeds are a southpaw. Yeah, basically. Mm. Like they've got a majority of their team doing something routinely throughout a game that opponents don't see every week. So maybe it kind of works. I've never thought about this before. So the, this, I'm yeah. literally right on the cutting edge of my mind here. <laughs> this is like Monday yeah. Night Football. This is but, fantastic. Well, it, it, it worked last season. So maybe everyone's worked out the Southpaw yeah. this season. That's maybe it. That's it. But you're right. You are right. Because I remember there was a game, I think it was Arsenal, and they had something like five or six left footers. And it was held up as like they were so imbalanced. It would just, it couldn't work because they kept leaning mm. that way. And play. It's like... But, <laughs> Would that not happen when you've got 10 right-footers or 11 right-footers like you sometimes might? Also, James, just say left, a, a right-footed left-back is the most Sunday league thing I think imaginable. <laughs> that just, sh- that yeah. just should not yeah. be happening yeah. at Elite Football. Won three major trophies, but yes, basically you are right, yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you, you half wonder if Carragher was also the treasurer of Liverpool that, that season because that is just... That should Ran not the be line. happening. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Done the uh, done the spot the balls in the players' lounge. <laughs> I, I wouldn't put it past you. You're, you're, I reckon you're pretty good at admin. I think you would be a good Sunday League admin. Oh, he'd guy be the best treasurer. Yeah, I mean, so good, so good. He'd be texting everyone for lifts. It'd be fantastic. Okay, so collecting the uh, the fines for the bookings. Six quid. Six quid. Come that's on. a little yeah. bit more Neville, I would say. That's a little bit more Neville. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah definitely. Yeah. Now, before we get onto your third and final hatred of football. If we can call it that, it, I feel I feel like this is a fantastic climax to episode one hundred. It just feels like what football cliches has been building to all this time. It's, it feels like you've reached into my brain and taken the one thing that I didn't think anybody else cared about. Tell us, uh, <laughs> it's it's supporters clapping and loading a striker because he runs to the corner flag to block the opposition's centre back playing it down the line when he's basically in a bit of trouble. And the ball then goes out for a goal kick and everybody's happy. The fans are delighted. The strikers, you know, he thinks he's done his job. And the and, and defenders thought, oh, you got me out of shit there. Mm. You'll have a goal kick at you very much. I was right in the corner for I didn't know what to do with it. It's unbelievable. And you just don't, it's, un, it's like, you see the striker, you're just thinking, let him play it down the line. He'll give it away. And you've got a chance to score him. But no, he comes running across, trying to impress the crowd again. And he does impress the crowd. He gets that big cheer, that big round of applause, and everyone's happy. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there should be a whole hour of Monday Night Football dedicated to this. It's, it's, it's one of is the, it, I wouldn't call it a, a scandal. You can, is there a player you can think of who would do that? My, my first thought is Paul Dickoff. Yeah, he was, a, he, was, he was an incredible closer downer. Yeah, that sort of just, I, I could imagine Jamie Vardy doing it yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's just, uh, I just, yeah, I, Strikers that just don't want to give Those up. The strikers who, who we describe as nuisance is a nuisance. Exactly. Would, would Andy exactly. Johnson, yeah. the, Ever- the Everton and Palace yes. striker, can imagine yes. him doing that? And, and yeah. Yeah. But also, yeah. I can imagine yeah. someone just go back to what we were talking about before, then following that up with a like whipping up the crowd with their arms as if they've yeah. like really yeah. achieved yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> but it's got to the point now where if I'm watching my own team on TV and and certainly in a in a particular circumstance where they're chasing a goal. And you can kind of understand why a player would do that, why a striker would do that, want to lead from the front. But before that situation even happens, when I see that this situation is about to unfold, I am essentially shouting at the screen, don't you touch that ball. Don't you dare. And there's so much that you could do. Charlie, there is so much you could do in this situation. You could pressure them right up to the point where they kick it so that you're making them make a rash decision. You could could shape your body so that it kind of doesn't want to go anywhere that you don't want it to. But do not... 
concede let- that goal kick. It is. <laughs> it is the. I mean, goal kicks are already the crappiest part of football. Do not concede a goal kick in the worst possible moment. I'm so annoyed by this. I'm yeah, so no, annoyed. I know. Just let just just let them slice it off. It's the the only thing worse than that thing is the that whole, like that thing where a defender's going nowhere and it's like don't foul him, don't foul him, don't foul him. Please don't foul him. Please don't shove him over. Oh, and you shove him over. That yeah. is like. Oh my god! Why have you done that? Which again, you must yeah. love as a defender when someone does that. Just gives you that little. You're nice... just waiting for that touch, aren't you? You're waiting for that touch. You fall on top of the ball. Oh. The referee's terrified of making a mistake, and like the striker running through and scores, so he gives the foul. And honestly, when I watch my team in the last couple of minutes, there's nothing worse than watching your team in the last couple of minutes. If someone does something and something that. Liverpool supporters still talk about today with Dejan Lovren having a shot from about 40 yards <laughs> in the FA Cup semi-final against Aston Villa at Wembley. When people are asked to describe Lovren's great moments, that always comes up. <laughs> that is always remembered because you're just like, I can't believe... It's okay if you've done it after half an hour, not a problem. Yeah. But don't do it with two minutes to go, please. <laughs> I completely agree. Okay, so so this got me thinking about minor frustrations in football that people are convinced they know better than elite footballers about. So things they've spotted that they just think they need ironing out in football that just the elite level coaches just haven't spotted. So let's start with this one. Harry Adams. He says, uh, I think this one has been long talked about, but when players place the ball down for a corner so it hangs over the quadrant by a millimetre, why <laughs> are you doing this? Charles Jones adds to this, placing the ball right on the very edge of a quadrant from a corner is pointless. One day VAR will disallow a goal because it was slightly out and this ridiculous trend will end. Um, I mean, Jamie, as a student of the game, as a... Um, scrutinizer of the minutiae of football surely this annoys you it does annoy me and it's always annoyed me that it always felt years ago that it had to be inside now it almost feels like it has to touch the line and i'll go one further i always feel like penalties now the ball's never really on the spot like it used to be it used to be right in the middle of the spot now it almost feels like you can see half the spot this is absolutely right because I mean, I mean, it's obviously a t- it's it is, a technical it? point. Like, I mean, there is obviously a point at which the ball stops being on the spot or the referee's not happy. But when it comes to penalty spots, Charlie, I feel like there's a spirit of the rule here. Put it in the middle of the spot. That's that's where it should yeah. be. But is the, is the, is this whole thing? Is the quadrants the penalty? Is that a kind of marginal gains? Is this we're going to do anything to get like a tiny be. edge? It must be a psychological thing. No idea if it helps. No idea. No, it's a man. It's a man. I mean, I always thought when it had to be inside, sometimes at certain grounds where there's not much run up, it could be really tight. And mm. I think we have seen the as the odd person kick the corner flag. Or I think I've seen that <laughs> once or twice. So maybe there's something. I just think make the quadrant bigger. Yeah, make it absolutely massive. Exactly right. Yeah, I think someone on a previous episode pointed out that they might as well just have a quadrant where players aren't allowed to encroach, so that no one has to guess <laughs> how far ten yards is. But then obviously the football pitch would then look start to look like a hockey pitch, and nobody wants that. So, but yeah, it was it was a good shout nonetheless. Okay, Thomas Danes, Jamie says, I'm convinced that most elite footballers forget that you can't be offside from a throw in. There is so much scope for a nippy forward to run behind the defence as soon as their team wins a quick throw. This is this is an unexploited part of football. Surely. I agree. I agree. He used to be a centre forward. Famously. <laughs> oh, here we go again. He used to be work on throw-ins, <laughs> uh, getting it in. But, I mean, yeah, it is like that. There, there are a lot of footballers who don't know. Actually, will there be players who wouldn't know? I, I, I'm sure. I, I think there's 99% of them who know about the throw-in, surely. They have to. But in terms of actually knowing football or what we're even talking about here, I think a lot of the footballers are there. They're not that into football, to be honest. Mm. They're not following IFAB on Twitter for the latest yeah. PDF of the laws of the game. Yeah, let's but face I mean, it. when we're commentating, I, I mean, 
I'd like to think I know most of the rules, but there's always some grey areas on certain things, and you're yeah. like, you're not confident enough to go with it on commentary, and you're keen down to die. Like, Do you know what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> Am I all right to go with this? Just leave it, leave it, leave it, leave it, leave it. Let Martin sort it out. Yeah, let Martin sort it out. Yeah, he'll take the flack. Yeah, it's fine. Also, any referee um, worth his soul will be telling you it's laws, not rules. That's the uh, yeah, the, the thing yeah. I've been told many times. And then, and then, off. and then the football manager will go, they know the laws, but they don't know the game. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That one. That's yeah. a Neil Warnock one. That I can imagine Neil Warnock saying mm. that. Charlie, this Charlie, this next one is 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 for you. This is from Creepy Pasta Goblin, as always. He says players attempting to hold the referee's hand down when raising a yellow card, um, as as if that's going to do anything. <laughs> um, I only I only address this one to you because it feels like something that Jamie might have done in his career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's possibly something I've done. That's possibly something I've done. The other one I like is when I can't uh, imagine that when all the players are going around the referee and the captain's telling all, all his own players, "Go away, go." I'll speak to him. I'll, yeah, I'm yeah. the only one who can yeah. speak. I'll, go, go away, go yeah. away. He, he's got the real information. He's <laughs> going to get to the nut of like, you know, the nut and bolts of it. You know, he's he's going to make him change that red card when his man's walking off the pitch. You know what I mean? No, no one else can speak to him. <laughs> I'm just going to speak to him. No one else is allowed. You know, that, that sort of seniority. Don't you get in trouble. I'll get in trouble. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll, I'll it's speak the actual, to the, I'll get the yellow card. The, the actual literally physical way that they make sure that all the other teammates are moved yeah, away. Yeah, like, yeah. You're, like you're funneling children on a school trip or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, clear, Jamie. Any, anything performative is the things that really get you going. Is that right? The, yeah, it's yeah. those like those. Yeah, is is that the theme of my pod? I think you don't so, like yeah. showiness. Got it? Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not no, I don't like that. I can see right through. I can see through phonies. Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, this is the this, this is the <laughs> final listener contribution, and um, I have to say, this blew my tiny mind. I don't know what it's going to do to your minds. Maybe they'll remain intact. Let's find out. Dom says, Vapor Rub, used most notably by Patrick Vieira, who used to absolutely cover his shirts in the stuff pre match. You never see it used anymore, so clearly its effectiveness was questionable. Okay, so I've, I've heard this, this quite a lot about how, you know, you don't see it very much anymore. Perhaps it aided their breathing or something like that. And then this took a massive twist. Borky replied on Twitter saying, Interesting story about this. It wasn't Vapor Rub, it was an adhesive gel. Which helped Vieira control the ball with his chest. No <laughs> but the club way. were happy for people to think it was vapor rub. Somebody, somebody tell me this is complete bollocks. No, I, I'm going for vapor. I think I used to see Roy <laughs> Evans use that. Not on the chest. They used to have a, a few little things up the nose before he went out. Oh, Christ. As the manager. As a, yeah, why as and a manager? Then, what, in case it got tense? I don't know, just to help the breathing, whether the breathing started to go all awry when we were 2 0 down or whatever it may be. I don't know. And Robbie Fowler had the little stick over the nose. Yeah. I, do you know what? I ran the data on that, and his goal-scoring record without the uh, without the um, the nose strip was far inferior. So, uh, so there it is. There it is. I mean, maybe maybe yeah, a few so injuries had it. The big thing about it, the breathing when it with Vieira. Not, it felt like a lot of the Arsenal players used that. Didn't yeah. They? Well, I mean, we now we know the real story. So, so that's why they're invincible. <laughs> Loads of kids at my school started getting that vapor rub stuff. It was one of those like ridiculous trends. It was like, I want to be like Vieira. My breathing's going to be amazing. Okay, so all right, I'm starting to row back on this. Maybe it is maybe it is for breathing reasons. But if 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 we can just indulge this fantasy option for a while, if it is adhesive gel, which is basically something I've never. I mean, okay, that's glue basically, but. We're not talking super glue because that's not going to work. So all I've got now is this image of Patrick Vieira rubbing a print stick on his chest, which is said look, both the most nineties thing imaginable and the most ridiculous thing in football I can possibly imagine. But can we just can we just say that this might possibly be true? That's all I want to hear. I think there's a good chance it could be true. Yes, good, <laughs> good. Just yeah, sticky chest. We all, we all have a bit of print stick. Yeah. 
Apparently, apparently, some players were putting. I had man on my boots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I'd like to think this ha- this is definitely true. If anyone really knows the answer, let us know. If it is something as underwhelming as breathing capacity, then I'll be disappointed. Okay, so let, let's recap what we've achieved today. We've we've established that Jamie Carragher, age forty three, is definitely not faster than Usain Bolt. We've uh, reminded him of the most ridiculous six aside tournament of all time. We've established that he doesn't get bored of football, which is quite handy in his job. We, we've uh, rediscovered his love for El Hadjouf. We've we've waxed lyrical about fullbacks, perhaps for a little bit too long, quite frankly, uh, on this podcast. Most of all, best of all, we've established that people strikers who close down fullbacks who are about to clear the ball and then concede a goal kick are the worst human beings on the planet. So uh, <laughs> we couldn't have achieved more in episode 100, quite frankly. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. Adam, thanks for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. Cheers, mate. Uh, Charlie, um, let's look forward to the next 100 can't wait. That was great. I don't think we've Thanks got enough guys. in us, quite frankly. I'll be quite honest with you, but let's see how <laughs> Well, no goes. one thought we'd get this far, did they? So you know, we've already <laughs> yeah, proved that exactly. a lot of doubters are wrong. Exactly. Um, right, well, thanks everyone for listening and uh, we'll see you next time. Cheers. The Athletic.